Thanks for listening to that great Mank pod. Please do us a massive favour and subscribe to this podcast. And if you can, leave us a review on iTunes. Both are a massive help, enabling us to promote the people and the great causes we champion to a much bigger audience. If you want to get in touch, give us a follow on Twitter at Great Mank Pod and drop us a DM. Cheers. You're listening to that Great Mank Pod, Greater Manchester's community podcast. Top one arcade. So if you, if you click on yes, um, it'll start recording this. And honestly, mate, these are, uh, are you speaking to two of the least professional, <laughs> polished <laughs> people ever? And if you've listened to some of the podcasts, you know, we, we get by just about. I mean, um, I'm in good company. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you could say that, depending on which way you look at it. <laughs> what was um, it described as, Paul, by that uh, Ian's mate who lives in abroad? He said, oh, it was like being back in the vault back in Manchester. <laughs> which which is a good thing or a bad thing, depending on which way you look at it. <laughs> but uh, it's honestly, mate, just a chat. And and the main aim of um, of when we started this, the, that great map pod is, is really just to speak to people who are doing really good things. Um, uh, most of which, um, are either quite honestly too busy to be banging that out on social media and telling people cause they've got good things to do and that's great. Or they don't know how to do it. All the very, very small percentage of them who, who just can't be asked is, 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 you know, the honest answer. So, uh, that's what this is about. It's just talking to them, the things that you're doing, uh, the positive things that you're doing out in the community. We know, obviously, we've got a really good relationship with you guys. We know exactly what you're doing and you're doing great work. Uh, but it's always good uh, in terms of getting that out there and probably works slightly different for you. Maybe not, but, you know, everyone's always looking for funding. Um, yes, always. And, yeah. It's <laughs> the number one priority, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, people are, for whatever reason, shy about saying what they do when in, in reality that, all helps towards you doing more of the good stuff that you are doing. So, well, you fund the funders and your sponsors and people out there you might not even know about yet are monitoring your streams all the time. So, I say this to every group when I'm when I've got my consultancy out on and I'm out and about. I'm saying you've got to put this stuff. Charity sectors useless at promoting themselves. The you know the those business type aspects of just. Say how great you are, but people are too modest. You know, it's like... Well, it's not only that, is it? It's also quite often you're running at the bare minimum mm. to make your funding stretch as far as you can do while still delivering a good service. And quite often, just the art of being able to shout about it like that can take a lot of time, can't it? And when everyone's working at full pelt, Sometimes actually searching for that funding, that next bit of funding can take the back seat because you're constantly just trying to stay afloat with what you're delivering already. Yeah, I mean, it's such a, a convoluted, complicated way of of making things happen. It could be so, so much easier. And you're right, you are. You're running to stand still all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and the only people who are suffering, well, not the only people, but the main people who are suffering for that, the people that you're trying to help. Exactly, yeah. And you don't want them to suffer because you do want to, you know, deliver stronger services or, mm. you know, other workshops, other activities that they can get involved in. Um, but 
you've only got a small pot of funds that you're just trying to stay within within that. And that sometimes then can blind you, I think, in, in terms of, well, what else can we do? Because if I do that, I've then got to jump through these hoops and those hoops and, you know, that can be quite difficult then as well. Well, that's another one of the main things that me and Paul, Fremont Spirit and everything we've done with other organisations, we, we provided, we're trying to sort of provide a platform for other people all the time and an opportunity. But it's also, and we've all found it during the pandemic, is using technology and using other ways to get your message out. I mean, the, the sessions we did with you guys, which were like, started off as a panic, you know, right at the start of the pandemic, and you think of all the good stuff that came out of those digital sessions mm-hmm. where people wouldn't have had that connection or wouldn't have had the opportunities. And, I, you know, we we wouldn't have considered them prior to the pandemic, but now it's part of our process. Every project I look at, it's like, yeah, I love doing it live because I love that interaction and the group stuff, but also make it hybrid so that other people you know, you're making it more inclusive and you're making it more sort of accessible and it's cheaper. Yeah, you know. it is. And I think we were all a little bit wet behind the ears really going into the pandemic. I mean, I know how I felt. I'd just taken on the role of CEO and my main priority at that point was actually, you know, let's get everyone set up to work from home Yeah. for a start. So there was the challenge around that. And quite honestly, you know, the delivery of the service wasn't the main focus for that first like week or two weeks, just as everyone got over the teething problems of being able to log on from home or to be able to even just simply open documents mm. and um, access work so that they could then get into that position of supporting carers. Um, and it was like an adrenaline, adrenaline shot then that it was like, right, how do we do this and what are we going to look like? And, and you know what? Actually, I do think the pandemic has really helped services grow in a way that may have taken another 10 to 15 years to achieve, you know. I think that, that's true about organisations like yourself and absolute credit to you for carrying on, knowing that especially your people that were at home and even more isolated than most, especially the young carers as well, and you like you adapted so fast and kept that service going and kept that connection where we know full well, you know, we work in the same sector. There was loads of charities out there furloughed, kept all the money in the bank and didn't help anybody. You know, it was like, you know, we we had that conversation of we if we go bankrupt over the next six months, at least we're gonna be out there trying our best. You know, so and talk and we nearly it, did. <laughs> <laughs> That's just personally, Paul. <laughs> I reckon half the team probably were thinking, gosh, I really do wish we'd been further. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, but I, I, there was that kind of, you know, it, the weather was beautiful, uh, ironically, ironically enough. And, you know, there was this old people just sat in the back garden and, the, you know, drinking away and having a great time. So people who were working, I'm sure we've seen that. And I'm sure... You know the people who would, you know, really supporting people like yourselves and the nurses that we were working with, like the people at Wigan in the ICU. You know, there must have been a certain amount of, you know, I'm working my ass off here, and and these people are sitting back and just and just chilling. 
So, you know, I'm sure that affected a lot of people in, in, in so many ways. And it says a lot that, that, that most people just got their head down and did, did what they needed to do. Yeah. I think there was actually a real sense of pride. Okay. We're not, we're not NHS. We weren't, you know, the ones who necessarily were being, you know, out getting applauded every, every Thursday, but actually I was out on the doorstep and I was applauding my team because I know that my team absolutely put heart and soul into the support we gave to carers during the entire pandemic, but in particular those first few months, because, you know, you saw a great community sponsor and, we, you know, the community response hubs were, were set up and we were working closely with them. But the first drive was really about, oh, my goodness, carers are going to be stuck at home. The person that they care for, their respite services have stopped, so there's no no support in place for them. So they have now, as much as their caring roles before, it's absolutely intensified with no like idea of how long that was going to carry on for. And that has a massive impact on carers. And it, it massively impacted on the staff because it was like, what can we do? What how how on earth can we make this better? And it was, you know, with thanks to, you know, input from Manx Spirit and from other funders that we worked with as well, we we did turn it around. And I'm not saying it was it was perfect for for everyone's situation, but it was about making sure that we continued to offer something. And actually, the the wonderful work that we did together really helped to kind of map that carer journey and look at the impact that caring was having on a carer whether they were still in a caring role or whether they they'd lost someone and that was phenomenal just to to listen to what came came from those sessions I think it kind of helped as well because we were completely out of that equation you know it was just two old blokes we kind of butted into these meetings and and listen I I, I mean I, I said this about uh we, chatting to some of the nurses we were working with over the weekend. And, and that's one of the things I'm most proud of out of everything that I've done, but certainly working with the carers as well, the young carers and the old carers is, is, is right up there with that because um, it was, I think we just focused down, didn't we? You know, we, we, we you look at the bigger picture and, and you just think, what do I do? What, you know, how can we possibly make an impact here? And yet what we did with you guys is, is we just, we just focused all together on just, whether it was just that one Zoom meeting and just speaking with the youngsters um, and some of the stuff that was coming back from them that was amazing, that was cheering me and him up. You know, I mean, we'd have a conversation afterwards and we'll feel better for for doing what we're doing. And it got to the point where we're saying, who's helping who? <laughs> <laughs> no. but, that, but that was great. That And that's the way it should be. Um, but yeah, yeah, you, the stuff that we did with you was... Yeah, was a. I look back on some of the young carer stuff and the way they articulate mm. their care role and the impact of that care role and just life in general around them. I, I'm in awe of them, and you know, maybe they wouldn't sit down and do that off their own back. And I'm so grateful for the project that we've got and for the the different sessions that we do because it really does draw that out from them and they can see 
what they're doing, the impact that it's having, and then they can see the positiveness of it as well. And, you know, I think for them to continue accessing groups and building those peer support relationships is is massive. Well, you, you, know, you can really we can see it. Out. You know, we can see when you're speaking to them. I mean, I think Damien had a couple of sessions before I managed to to get on them, and he was telling me about, you know, as you do say, you know, there are certain listen, I say kids, youngsters, whatever you want, you know, I, I say kids. There was, there was, you said, you know, there's kids on there. You can see you're supporting other, other kids. Yeah. You can see that the way they're doing it, if they feel that they're not involved in the conversation or bringing them into the conversation, you know, and we don't get that with adults in some of the meetings that we have, you know, and then you're dropping on these meetings and you can see it. There was a real caring attitude towards one another, um, which is really impressive. Yeah, they weren't talking really impressive. each other. They were respectful. They were supportive of each other. They weren't, like, dominating the meeting if they were the confident ones. They were actually drawing the best out of each other, you know, and that, that was the first thing that sort of really made me proud. You know, I'm always in the role and the projects that we do out in the charity. You're always looking for champions and leaders that can take this further than me. You know, that's what I'm always looking at. It sounds daft, nearly everything I've ever done, I've always tried to put myself out of a job, you know, and you're looking for somebody to take it forward because that, to me, is real legacy. Yeah. And I didn't have a problem. Easily identified four to five champions within five minutes that could have easily just taken the project on themselves, you know. Um, but that's through your support, Michelle. Yeah. That's through the t- your team, through the organisation, through the fact that you belong, you brought that them together into that peer group, you know. Yeah. And I, I know um, we've saw Damien recently and I've um, shared the story of Carol, who who was in that cohort of carers at the beginning who was um, enjoying those sessions. And where she's come in her journey, you know, going through that journey of discovery of what that carer journey is, and taking that further and beyond. And she's become that peer support for other carers and is now leading the Wellbeing Wednesday groups. Mate, funny enough, I was talking to Paul about that just before we came on here, that from, and that was the older carers, wasn't it, that we did the carers journey over 10 sessions. And um, I remember her on the first one, very withdrawn in the shadows, not, you know, sitting back and obviously you know you're looking at it's harder in a, on screens to draw people in and and use that sort of energy but then I could see over the sessions she was becoming more confident she wanted to talk about her experiences because she just lost her husband hadn't she mm-hmm. that she cared for for a long time yeah and um she was sending me emails. She any any pro, anything we did, no matter what it was, whether it was poetry, drawing, um, she got involved. But she'd send me emails then of like three or four more drawings that she'd done, or a couple of more poems behind the scenes, and literally over them ten sessions. And then at the end of it, you know, she's there painting a picture, with, you know, the canvas and the flowers, and she. But she was so buzzing and she'd made that connection with an old friend, didn't she, during the sessions who she'd not seen for a while. And we taught her how to use Zoom so yeah. that she could create that connection because she couldn't go and see her and have a coffee like you would have done. What's it? But when yeah. you told me the other day that she's now 
helping run bereavement groups and sharing her coping strategies and her story with other people it's like mate it's like I'm filling up now just thinking it's great you know we were were really lucky as well to get some um funding through carers trust so we're a network partner of, of carers trust and um they released some funds and uh, thanks to um, some sponsorship from Cadent Gas. And it was for us to set up a bereavement support group, which is something which you don't think of it in, in terms of carers. You, you know, you can often signpost elsewhere. But actually, if you can bring a group of carers together who, you know, are having that experience, because when that carer role comes to an end, you really do lose a, a massive part of your identity because even becoming a carer you lose your own identity you, you you know you go to someone who's who's caring for someone and generally the first question you ask is how such and such a person doing you don't ask about how are they doing it's you know so they almost it's like to become the person who they're caring for because they're speaking for them they're doing things for them and and so forth so when that care role comes to an end through um through death it's massive it's you know it's it's really massive and to be able to offer a dedicated bereavement support was was wonderful so we set up an eight week um eight week program where um eight weeks were online and then we did a second group and carol again was part of that first group and what she helped to achieve for that group in those those first eight sessions um it wasn't just her own experience and even for the other carers involved it wasn't just just about their own experience it was about what they've achieved since and that eight week came to an end and actually it took you know someone like carol going oh should we meet up again afterwards and so they're going round to each other's houses now and having baseball competitions and things. But the, the other massive thing about that, and, and this shows the power of bringing people together as well, um, you know, carers who have been bereaved, I've seen varying levels of, of grief. For some, you know, it's a cathartic experience. It's a, a sense of relief. For others, it's a loss of identity. For others, it's, you know where do I go now? I, I can't live without, you know, without the person that I've, you know, I've cared for who I love, you know, so much. And that's a general thing around death and, and grief anyway. But for carers, I really do feel it's intensified. And there was a particular carer within this group who I um, was aware of. I knew what their situation was leading up to it. And I knew how much that death had affected them. Um, and they, they really were at a very, very low point. And the progression I saw through that delivery of the group was phenomenal. It is like, you know, seeing that person now, they are a completely different person. And the grief is still there. The support need is still there. But actually they've come so far in just a short space of time and it was the power of the group just coming together that has really helped them to do that and that is what I love about this job I love them sessions we did and again I was blown away with the honesty I mean we all know how amazing they are and everything else but then it 
because they were peers, because they were all going through, and you had people that were brave enough to say, actually, no, I didn't want to be a carer. I didn't choose to be. I've lost my identity. I was angry. I feel guilty all the time. And, and the things that you've just talked about, about losing their own identity and everyone, folk, you know, all the energy is focused on the the person that they're caring for, you know, and the especially the older. Um, I remember a lady that runs your gardening group. Yeah. She she was incredible because she talked about that openly, and that gave permission then for the others to say, "Well, actually, I feel like that too, and I've not been able to voice that." And but the human, you know, the human in in extraordinary circumstances that they did not choose to be in. Yeah. But it's that transition and that journey process that we went through talking about the dark stuff and and they did talk about very dark stuff, you know what I mean? Um but then how that leads to acceptance and that change of role, but then becoming quite um activists. Mm. You know, people during the sessions are talking about battles they were having with schools, battles they were having with healthcare, battles they were having. But each other were like, yeah, I've been through that. Have you tried this? And yeah. bring it, that's the power of that group. You know, all of a sudden they're not on their own. That's it. And the, the absolute goal, isn't it, is to reach out to those carers who haven't yet had that experience and just to show them the power of, of what a group can do. I suppose you can kind of relate it to, to any kind of group. You know, you think of Slimming World, <laughs> for one, they say the power of, of actually achieving anything or even Weight Watchers is actually attending the group, isn't it? Because that's where you get your, your main points of support. Now, I know my team here are phenomenal in that support and great at that one-to-one support. But actually, it is that sharing of experiences with their peers that you just can't write that. It's, you know, that is where it is powerful. That's where it has the biggest impact. And that is where I feel that you can really start your journey of your own self-identity as well. well. The, the subject of the hidden carers and the fact, and mm-hmm. one of the reasons that I'm glad that you, you've come on the podcast is getting that message out to people out there that if you are caring for somebody else, you are a carer and support is there. You know, look for if it's not in Trafford, look for your local carer centre and, and yeah. look for that support. Because when I was actually doing them sessions with you, I didn't realise it. My grandson, who's who's got autism and ADHD, he came to live with me and I was looking after him during the day and I was still doing trying to do projects and stuff. Yeah. And I'm sat there in these sessions that because I hadn't even considered it, I was looking after my grandson, right? And I'm thinking... That's me. I'm doing that. And it but I hadn't said I was a carer at the time mm. because I didn't it, I, and the, a lot of the people that I spoke to said that it was a long time before a lot of them reached out for support because they just saw it something they had to do. Yeah. They didn't see it as a role. They did people link it too much with benefits or claiming for carers allowance. Is it if I'm not on carers allowance, how how can I be a carer? Yeah. And I think it is an absolute misconception of of what a carer is because first and foremost, you were granddad in that situation. Um, my own personal experience, I was a sister before, you know, before I was a carer. 
and I really enjoyed what I was doing. I, I loved doing physiotherapy on, on my brothers and banging, <laughs> banging them until they cleared, cleared mucus and stuff. But it, it does have an impact, an impact that you don't know. And actually, in my, in my case, I felt the impact it had for me was that it made our family stronger. It made us, me stronger with, you know, handling situations. And um, there was such positiveness that came from it. But then I could flip it around and think, well, yeah, there may have been times that actually I felt a little bit low or left out or even in, in some respects jealous because the attention is, you know, even if when they were going into hospital, it's like, oh, let's go and stay in hospital <laughs> stuff. Oh, I won't wish that on anyone. <laughs> like, but, you know, there are a lot of feelings that come around it. And if you don't have a platform to share it on, those feelings can manifest into, into something quite negative then yeah. over time. And, um, and, we, and we do talk about hidden carers. And there is... Um, there is something around how it can take you up to about two years to realise or recognise that you're a carer. Um, and as a service, what we want to be is preventative. We don't want a carer going into crisis or, you know, having that just where you get on that absolute treadmill of just... The first two years must be the hardest two years, you know. Yeah. And it's probably where you do need the most support because you you are going through that. Well, I'm doing this because it's it's such and such body, and I love them, and I, I wouldn't not do this. But actually, through the Care Act and the statutory carers assessment, there is a choice. There is a choice for people, and you know the, the choice that you would take in most circumstances would be that you would continue caring. But there is a choice, and people need to realise that there is a choice. Mm. being a carer as well and that difficult decision is really hard as well but what we want to be is a service that's there for those who want to support with Mm. that and support with their care role and to recognize what how the care role is impacting on them in not just mentally or you know physically but in in other areas as well because it will affect finances. It will affect whether, you know, they can, can continue in employment themselves or in education. It will affect life choices that you make as well. And um, I don't know whether I got recommended to watch um, a TV programme recently. I don't know whether you've seen it. Alma's Not Normal. I've heard a lot of people talking about it. Which honestly was powerful. It was mm brilliant comedy in it but equally really tragic as well you know you it really just it really portrayed that carer story but very subtly as well and Mm. um it was very much around a a mother with mental health um very um severe mental health needs and the, the impact that that has on not just the mother but also on the grandmother and then on on the um, on the daughter as well I just thought it was a really interesting portrayal of what it was like to be in a care role situation but also to be the cared for mm. as well well this is uh and I'm, I'm gonna drop some on you in a minute no. a, lot of, 
I think this is where it's so important that stories are shared so that people can then recognise themselves in that story and then reach out for the help. And while I'm sat here, and me and Paul have talked about it in various ways anyway, what I'd like to do, um, and I don't know how we'd do it, is hand over this podcast to Trafford Carers for you today to do, say, 10 podcasts. Now, we'd support them. Mm-hmm. You know, we're quite happy to come in and tell the group how to run it. They do the interviews. They produce it they do you know what I mean yeah but if you wanted to do that then we we've got all the hosting set up we've got all the stuff set up we could actually take some of your guys through the process and let them share some of their stories absolutely I think that's um I think that works in a variety of ways it helps them to build a skill helps them to tell their story also goes on to help a lot of other carers as well yeah, so I mean, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd say yes. <laughs> I mean, if you want to do all the all the technical tech bo- tick box stuff that we do have to keep an eye on, uh, you've got digital inclusion, you've got skills development, employability, you've got confidence building, bringing the group together, sharing stories, so it's social commentary, you know, for them to say what they've been through and share for others. Mate, the list is endless, really. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It ticks every single box, doesn't it? But the most important thing is about telling that story. Absolutely. And then if they wanted to take it forward and you set up your own, then we'll help you do that. You know, that's not an issue at all. But it's here. Take it, use it, you know. Amazing. Yes, definitely. Let's continue the conversation on that. I mean, the the thing that that got me with with the carers was, from a purely personal point of view was a something that not you kind of think about it you kind of think about it and and you know now knowing what i know yeah i probably know people who are carers who wouldn't see themselves as carers people like in, who were in damien's situation but the important thing for me is it kind of lifts that lid on something that's going on in your community that you really don't know about for various reasons um and and as as much as there's some really you know you know sitting in on and and some of it with the older carers and the younger carers, there's some really really horrible stories, you know, and it is really hard to hear some of the things that have happened and and everything else. But the over I, when I think of the carers, I don't I, with the situation I don't think of that. I think of the amount of times that we laughed, mm. and you know. The, the, either the kids would say something where you think, right, okay, you know, you know, we're just and 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 the old, there's some of the stories that we were getting. I mean, some of it I couldn't put onto the podcast <laughs> <laughs> if I wanted to, but it, it was just the laughs and the screenshots that we shared of, and I think that's what people because it's just it's just humanity. It's human, and it's it's that. Like you were saying before, that it was just an awful situation for everyone, for everyone, and the fact that people were able to speak to each other and just know that someone was was asking them how they were was a big thing, and you know, and and that, and those conversations and nine times out of com- you know even though the conversation could start off on a, on the point where you think there was a couple of stories where even afterwards I was like, oh wow yeah that that's that's really affecting me that especially as a father but more often than not the stories and it's maybe it's a mank thing maybe it's a manchester i don't know they'd start off like that 
and they'd end up with everyone laughing for, for whatever reason, because you get onto other stories. And like you were saying about that TV thing, tragedy and comedy, there's a fine line mm-hmm. between the two and people use the comedy to, uh, to, to use that, to try and help with the situations that you're yeah. in. And I think the stories that, uh, that you guys could, could, could put out there, loads and loads of people could relate to them. Absolutely. And, and that's where, that's where you start winning the battle in it. You know, when people actually think, well, actually, yeah, they're just people going through problems. Um, yeah, yeah no, listen, we'd it love to get you involved. The opportunity to talk, Paul, was, uh, mm. I think we, not, we, you know, we tried to keep it to an hour session. Some of them drifted to an hour and a half and more because I didn't want to stop people because they obviously needed to talk, mm. you know, and, and share those. And once you open that, you know, that the floodgates. It's actually can't stop. And realistically, when you when you think about, you know, we talk about isolation and care is definitely at the point where we did those sessions. They they weren't seeing anyone. No. They they really were very, very isolated, as were, you know, a lot of people, and I think you probably experienced it yourself. The minute you actually got talking to someone, you you literally just went blah, 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 like that. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, it's someone to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was great in terms of those sessions because it really did give them that opportunity. And like you say, you you allowed it, you allowed it to extend beyond the group because it was recognition that actually, gosh, this might be the first time that they've spoken to someone in a, in a few days and this is really vital for them to to get this people get just want to get involved i mean we had at the first festival that we had as part of this gmca funding that we've gotten and the festivals that we've done was trafford and you know when we put the bid in for that we were going to have events and we were going to have people parachuting in <laughs> you know, have people, right? <laughs> you know we, we had it all and then it was like yeah, like you're not you're not going to have any of that. <laughs> so we'll take it online. And so it, we, we, I mean, we just had to said, right, okay, let's just do the, and, and ultimately I think it was, it was the best way of doing it. It was far more inclusive, but going back to what I was saying, this thing about people wanting to join in, what we found with Trafford, apart from getting the people, you know, supplying poems, uh, which have thousands of hits and all sorts of people sharing really personal stuff. The parents were joining social media so that they could, A, watch that and join in. Now, whether that's yeah. a good thing or not, we've encouraged people to join social media, is, 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 it can be discussed <laughs> another day. But the fact they wanted to get involved, um, that was a really big, one of the biggest bonuses, I, I thought, out of, out of the festival, that we had people wanting to get involved in that festival who wouldn't normally, if, it was, if, it, if the situation was normal in inverted commas, they probably would have gone, wouldn't have got involved quite honestly, but there was that kind of urge to uh to jump in and, and you know the I'm trying to think now the what would what do we have? We had I mean Trafford, I think it was our first festival and it was and they've all gone really well for different reasons. But Trafford was uh yeah I think Trafford out of the ones that we've done was was definitely the most uh, more people got involved in traffic. Now, I think it was because of the time that it was. It was right yeah. at the beginning of the lockdown. But it was amazing, the amount of different things that we, we got from from people just wanting to 
more often than not stick a smile on somebody's face. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Like thinking of those, you know, those parents joining social media to get mm. involved. Just in terms of the relationships that it helped to build, mm. while you know, getting them actively involved in viewing the the wonderful pieces of work that they did, yeah, which they may not have done previously. Well, listen, we had this, we had, we had plenty of conversations. Various people we were dealing with, where we were dealing with older people, and I'm speaking as an old person, but even older than me where they'd say, oh, I'm not getting involved in any of that social media nonsense, blah de blah And you think, well, you know what, then you're going to be lonely. Mm. If you don't make the effort, then, you know, you're really going to be lonely because it can it can open it can open the world up in so many amazing ways. And we all know that, 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 that it's not all about, it's not all massive benefits of social media. But at that time, uh, and we got to the point where it was like, where people would say, oh, I don't want to, right, see ya. Yeah, <laughs> and we move on because you can't, you know, people. You're not going to win that argument. Are no, you? never. And no, life's no. too short. I think it's great that so many did embrace going on like yeah. social media, even sort of like you know, how do I use this Zoom and stuff? And we we had recently because it, it's work that continues as well because there is still a large number of the population who, you know, don't have internet access or don't have that, you know, smart technology. And, um, you know, we were really lucky to get funding to um, bring on Devon, who's our digital inclusion officer. So she could continue to support carers to to get online and to get the most out of this. And the one most recently that she's helped is um, a a couple whose son um, lives South Wales not seen him like for over two years. And um, I think the the story is, is that he actually purchased like the Facebook portal thing, but they had no idea how to use it. And obviously he wasn't able to, to show them how to do it. And Devon went along to the house, showed them how to get onto it. And um, actually while she was there, they went on a call with their son and she was so moved by it. She was like, I'm just crying. <laughs> and it was so lovely to see. And, yeah. um, you know, she just for her to see the impact, you know, in, in that way, mm. I think really reinforced what her role is about and, you know, how how it can be a very positive experience for those who really do want to, to embrace it. We changed our, um, <clears throat> as we were working, obviously, we'd go, I mean, we were doing other projects with uh, housing schemes and all sorts of stuff. And we were going there and saying, oh, uh, digital access to everything, it's an option, it can, you know, it can expand your life, it can do this and after. And we're getting a lot of negativity. Oh, my son says I don't need this. Or, and I must admit, it didn't take long before I actually said, look, it isn't a choice anymore. You know, we've been too soft. Yeah. So, you know, going to people, would you like a tablet? Would you like to? It's like, look, do you still want to keep in contact with your doctor? Do you still want to be able to order shopping to come to your door? Do you want to connect with people or do you want to just sit in your house lonely? You know, and I'm sorry, it it has, you know, it might be harsh or whatever. This is the world we live in now and it's not a choice. You know, maybe out of lockdowns as well, but I think, some of the other things that we're experiencing and we're seeing is the um, anxiety about actually still 
coming together or even leaving the home. You know, with carers, realistically, we're told stay at home because the person you care for is clinically vulnerable. Well, yeah. realistically, the threat hasn't gone. It's still there. So in their mind, it's, you know, why is it safe to go outside now when it wasn't two years ago? So it's still there for them. So they still are, you know, they still are very much cut off and isolated. And um, I think that's why it's important to keep that hybrid way of delivering services as well. But I do think, you know, I, I get what you're saying in terms of everything is online. And I think for the future, that is going to need to be embraced. But I do think there needs to be more support around digital inclusion as well. And I, I talk about Devon and, you know, the funding that we've had, but that funding runs out in June. And I know how vital her role is. And So you'll, you'll lose Devon. You'll lose Devon if you don't get it right. Yeah. When does that funding run out? Uh, it runs out mid June. Um, sorry, mid July. So well, I mean, where we things- look for our to our own pot of funds to continue because we see the absolute value mm. of what she's delivering, and actually, I think that project can go a lot bigger as well because it's not just about the connecting onto the internet. There's the whole issue around how everything is just smart technology, everything is just developing to this smart technology. And from the likes of operating your microwave to your oven to your heating, I mean, I've heard stories from um, carers who've not turned the heating on because they didn't know how to operate the system and because no instructions came with it. They were online. They were unable to, to work out how that worked. Carers who hadn't eaten, who hadn't eaten a hot meal because they couldn't work their oven, because again the instructions were just so limited in what comes with the, you know, with the equipment these days. They just expect that everyone can go online, and I feel we do move too fast thinking that everyone is online. Even the GPs, you know, ask you, does it's a wonderful service if you can get online to do it and. You know, go back a few yeah. months. There was absolute cry out for just being able to do things over the phone still because that's what people were used to. And I know it's a culture change and, and so forth, but we need to ensure that we don't move that far ahead, that we're leaving the ones who are most vulnerable behind. Well, yeah. we found that as well, Michelle, because in place. I won't say any names, but there are a number of social housing providers. I will. <laughs> no, we won't. But we've had real um arguments with because we've offered to do digital inclusion packages for housing. These are housing schemes, not just we've not even got to the people who live on their own in the middle of an estate. Mm. And we were like, Yeah, we'll do this digital inclusion. Say, right, cool, have you got Wi-Fi? Oh no. Have you got an intention of getting it? Well, no, why should we? You'd immediately, all those yeah. people. Now, I will say that one of the housing providers, actually, we did a, a survey of how many people had it, everything else, and they have started putting it in. Right. right. But this is like two years later that I'm probably still not sure that it's in everywhere. But for us, we're like, hang on a minute. You, you're. <laughs> it's not that day for you. 
you know, you can go and get a really good deal to get this like individuals. It is very expensive. And with the, you know, constant media coverage of cost of living crisis, Mm. you do get a lifeline is what I mean. It's an essential, especially for people that need to more than anything have Zoom meetings with doctors, have order the medication um, and this stuff they can't do because you can't get through on the phone. Will it then be priority (laughs) when you're thinking of, you know, well, I need to cover my food costs and I need to be able to, you know, stay warm over winter. It feels a stretch at at this point, but what's it going to look like in October, in December, next March? Are are you getting a lot of your, a lot of the people that you're working with getting in touch with you, actively getting in touch with you and saying, listen, I'm really, really worried. We are starting to see it and we've, we've recently launched um, a new fund. Um, so we'd, we'd received funds through the Winter Resilience Funding through Trafford Council. Mm. Um, and the one, one of the ways that we're actually working with it is to um, give it out as grants to, to carers. Um, alongside um, at the premise of a, a personal health budget, so it's really um, we're working quite closely with um, individualised support. So that it's a very person-centred approach, um, and thinks outside the box in terms of because we we have the carer support fund, which is typically used as um, timeout um, for carers. So they might go and you know get the hair done, or they might go away for a few days. Um, but this is in more. Um, we want to be able to react more to those cost of living crisis requests so if there is um, a carer who's maybe unable to put money on their electric card or you know the gas card um just to kind of help them with with a one-off payment what we can't do is have dependency on it because it's not an infinite pot of funds Uh, but if it can help them out of a situation at that time that puts them in a more positive frame of mind for them to think ahead and to give them additional support as to how they can um, maybe not get into that situation again in the future, which becomes harder, doesn't it? Because actually, we're probably only at the start of this crisis. And, you know, getting those requests now, it it does worry me. And I I am, I'm extremely worried what the landscape is going to look like this time next year. I, this is, mate, it's one of these things where it's just, I, I try not to look at the the really big picture because then you just think, well, you, then you just wouldn't leave the room and you do kind of think, all right, well, what can we do? What can we do? Now, what, I mean, certainly what we can do is we can get that message with this podcast and the beauty of the podcast is we can get that message out to people who may listen to this and say, all right, well, even if they're, another part of the country well you know the people that i'm dealing with is that available through them and at least get them just knowing that there's these people like you said you were willing to to think a little bit differently about how they can how they can help rather than well we've got this this and this all right you don't fit into any of those boxes tough because no one wants to wear that um so yeah yeah it's uh I mean, we've talked about about, um, like the mental, the mental health aspects of what we've just been through through COVID, Mm. and what everyone's 
so well what a lot of people including myself and i know paul's done it as well to keep for your own personal mental health you've sort of drifted more into hobbies writing creativity art whatever pets you know um and people have got really into all that stuff or signing up for netflix or whatever now we've got this cost of living it's like you haven't got time for hobbies anymore you ain't got any cash there's nothing so that thing that you've now used to help you through a really bad time Mm. you're having to get rid of yeah or not do any i mean i you know i've had discussion i keep you know snakes and reptiles and stuff like that and i spoke to other people in that community that got got them through the lockdown and they've keeps you sane to look after something else and do something else rather than watch the news. They're now worrying that they can't pay for the heat heat lamps for the reptiles, they can't pay for the food for them. They can't. So now the uh, and I actually know um, a sanctuary that takes in, they're getting more and more handed over because people just, do I feed my kids or do I feed my animal? You know. It's a really, it's a, really hard decision but ultimately then giving that up will massively impact on mental health again as well as the worry around finances so it's it's your pets it's your hobbies it's your you know even if you've just taken up and we just talked about the internet you know we've done it in our house you've looked at all the bills should we cut this down should we do you know should we get rid of netflix should we get mm-hmm. because we're noticing i'm even you know I'll sit in and I think, oh, I need to go somewhere to go and do some work. And I put it off because it cost me 93 quid to fill my car up now, and it was 73 quid yeah. a couple of weeks ago. So I'm now limiting myself now, and I'm not necessarily in that category of people. Having three boys, having three teenage boys living in the house. <laughs> <laughs> try, try putting on the heater in the office. I'm the one who's there to get it off. Turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. Yeah. Jump on. What do you need? I feel like I've just turned into my dad. <laughs> well, the thing is that people learn most of the Turn the lights off. Turn the lights That's what I do. Turn the lights off, yeah. I'm like, where's the sunshine? I've had to put the light on today. <laughs> well, the uh, people you... that are most in fear, of still in fear of COVID, which the rest of us have sort of moved a little away from, and now not allowed any distractions, yeah. you know. And I, I, mean, I just don't remember a time. Can you bash us down? <laughs> I, I just don't remember. I mean, listen, you get old and you get responsibilities and you have to make decisions, get that. But I've never, you know, and I'm 52 this year. Damien's 52 this year, so we're getting on. But I've never known a time where you, you're having to make really important decisions all the time, <laughs> all the time, you know. And and it's, you know, we're, we're not in a particularly bad situation and other people in far worse situations and when you when you think of that that's when it really it really gets me personally is when you do think that there are you know well i know there are people who are sat at home not knowing what yeah. to do um yeah well that was a you know that always brings you down that conversation but it, it's <laughs> listen we we yeah, but that. the main point of that is there is help and support if you go yeah. looking for it. And yeah. so, and again, anyone who's listening to this, if you have got caring responsibilities, go and find your nearest carer centre. They might not be able to fix everything, and I'm sure you can't, Michelle. I understand that, but you might be able to help you out a little bit. We'll always know. have a listening ear and we'll always have a wealth of information that we can tap into. So whether we can do it ourselves 
or whether we know of someone else who can support, then that's what we'll what we'll do. By hook or by, by crook, we want to to help carers and get a positive outcome for them. Yeah, and that trench humour that Paul was talking about before is I don't you know is it a particularly northern sort of mentality that when when everything's going wrong you, that you can still have a laugh and a banter about it you know but that's to me that's the heart of creativity. Yeah, you know the sessions we did where we included improvisation and they were the best ones where you just drop dropped it on people doing improv. And then some of the stuff they just come out when they were like half thing you didn't have a chance to think was absolutely incredible, you know. But they were the funniest people, like Paul says, because they're used to that. You're having to find humor in really dark places, you know. Yeah, and I think it is a, it, I think it is a very northern thing, isn't it? Southerners may disagree, but I do think it is a very we, we don't have any southerners listening to this thing. podcast, don't you? <laughs> you know, they, they can't understand what we're saying at the best of times. <laughs> That's why we talk faster. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get away with this <laughs> but I do think it is a very northern thing I think we as a as a community I just think we can look at the um the humor in things because I think if we didn't laugh we'd cry wouldn't we I just think we've got great communities. We've got our problems. There's no two ways about it. And I always said this, I couldn't give a toss about the buildings in Manchester. I couldn't, get, I couldn't care less about stuff like that. It's but and, and, you know, is Manchester the best city in the world? No. Have you not travelled? There's far better, far better, far better city. So all that nonsense just goes by the by. But in terms of communities, I think we've got amazing communities. And I think the reason why they're so strong is because we've got such a rich multicultural heritage yeah and and there is all that and there is a lot of support out there and there's lots of people doing jobs like yourselves and Shay and Julie and and the whole team there who are doing who are doing really really good work and people should know that there's people out there doing that work and they you know and that's what and that's what we try to do with what we're doing um if you could do me a favor as well Michelle yeah. and we'll just bring this into we'll we'll put this at the beginning of the podcast because we've carried we've carried on and we've not took breath <laughs> No, never follow traditional way. No, oh, mate. We always say, right, format. That's the word we don't use, format. What's your format? Oh, we just talk. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Then I have to spend about three weeks putting it all together. But um, if you can just tell us, obviously, who you are, what you do. Okay. So I'm Michelle. I'm the Chief Executive at Traffic Carers Centre, and we primarily support unpaid carers who are looking after someone who couldn't manage without them in the Trafford area. Brilliant. And you're doing a fantastic job at it as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to that Great Mank pod. Please do us a massive favour and subscribe to this podcast. And if you can, leave us a review on iTunes. Both are a massive help, enabling us to promote the people and the great causes we champion to a much bigger audience. If you want to get in touch, give us a follow on Twitter at Great Mank Pod and drop us a DM. Cheers. You're listening to That Great Mank Pod, Greater Manchester's community podcast. Top one, argue.